All right, we are in business. That's right, Mr. Jonathan. Mm, doctor. Ooh, I like that correction. <laughs> He's getting confident. I know. <laughs> I was on the phone today, and uh, it was because I was doing my taxes. So I was on the phone with TurboTax, telling him some issue. She's like, "It's okay if I call you Mr. Jonathan." It took so much for me to be like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you say that because um, one of the people I work with, she's a doctor. Yeah. And some people call her doctor. I don't want to say her name, but... And then some people don't call her that. They just yeah. call her by her first name. So I actually asked her, like, do you prefer doctor? Do you yeah. prefer anything else? And she doesn't... Pre- she doesn't want to be called doctor yeah i mean aside from like the the gag joke uh i don't actually think it makes sense to be called doctor really um no i i I mean i think it does i think you should i think it's i think it depends on the situation like for example if like if i'm very like senior in a company right and someone's emailing me for the first time it actually makes me feel a little bit nice if they refer to me as doctor because they're basically saying Hey, I respect your experience, right? But if they started with, you know, I, it wouldn't bother me if they just call me Jonathan. It just would, it would be extra points, you yeah. know? But in, like for my colleagues at work, no one calls me Dr. Sharf, yeah. you know? But um, people do reach out via email and, and say Dr. Sharf. And, yeah. and on my signature, it says Dr. Jonathan Sharf, right? So it, it's important to have that prestige because that prestige then, you know, uh, motivates people to pursue those degrees and there's a reason why the prestige exists and why it's an important thing to, to keep going it's not just for vanity's sake it's it's so that we keep motivating people to try to to excel to higher heights so i think sometimes nowadays we're afraid of like you know we get angry like oh someone's vain if they want to be called a certain title it's like well that's part of it that's part of why you do it and that's part of the american dream that's that's my opinion on it yeah. at least yeah, I think it, like you said, I, I think it just depends. It does yeah. depend. My siblings are doctors and... Yeah, you wouldn't I, call your own brother, you know, Dr. You know, Jerome. <laughs> well, well, no, it's not about, like, at least for me, it's more about the acknowledgement. Because I, I on, on a first-hand basis, yeah. I saw how hard it yeah. was for them to become doctors. Just in, for everyone that's a doctor, yeah, I'm yeah. sure you went through the same thing, right? So I feel like... If someone wants to be called that, I think they're deserving because I feel like it represents a higher level of education that most people are just are not willing to commit to. Yeah, but then you know? the, the, I think the counter argument that a lot of people use against me all the time, or not even like use, but it it, it feels this way. It's like it, it it comes off as like conceited if you you know who gives it, a who gives a fuck whatever people think. I that, don't care what yeah, that's think. that's the thing. But like. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily conceded. I think it can be conceded. Um, but I think for the most part, we need to dis- differentiate between conceit and respect. Right. And the respect part is good for the men- the reasons I mentioned earlier, which is that it, it, it's motivating, you know, to people to a higher level of education. Yeah. Um, but whatever. I mean, I think we're kind of... <laughs> One of the things, actually, we can talk about this in industry that is very interesting is we, you know, with Steve Jobs, he came in with the turtleneck and the jeans. Mm, yeah. And ever since then, the tech bros 
swept over and dressing down is dressing up, right? The prestige is, is actually down, like, uh, frowned upon. So like that's the, the culture it is today in the tech space is like, um, in the Bay Area tech space I would say is that if you, have, if you dress up for work, you kind of stand out as being weird. And if you uh, care about titles, it's like you're you're not you're thinking creatively outside the box. You know, you're you're rigid minded. You're an old way of thinking. Um, I think that there's parts of that that's correct, but I think that in that of an in of itself is a box that you're putting yourself in because now you're like, well, to be creative is to get rid of all structure. And right. It's like, no, like when someone's painting on a canvas, they have a canvas and they have paint. You're starting with structure. Yeah, yeah, then they create from that structure, but there's always a structure from anything, and you have to have a foundation. So yeah. You can't just be like, no structure. Right, yeah. right. And I think even to your point about dressing up, I think it just comes down to staying true to who you are. Yes. Because yeah. I don't live my life for other people or what they think. And um, even, again, using work as an, as an example, I used to work somewhere where I would dress up to work mm-hmm. every day and it became a running joke around the office because I was always the one that was always dressing up or yeah. um, overdressed for work, but it just comes down to staying true to who you but are. You, you liked it. That's what I wanted. I didn't yeah. care. Like it would have been yeah. a lot easier to not dress up and fit in right. like everybody else. And it wasn't about fitting in. It, was, it would have been literally easier right. not to just, yeah. just put throw on jeans and yeah. throw on a shirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was just staying true to who I am. You know, so and I know a lot of people who might have been in that same situation would have, you know, reacted differently, maybe like dress down or try to fit in more. But it goes to my point earlier. It's like you just have to stay stay true to who you are. The the irony of it is like Steve Jobs went against the norm by dressing down. Now everyone's dressing down, so right. to go against the norm is to dress up. It's just right. it's just like it's a cycle, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's I think it's silly. I think yeah. I think you should you should dress as who you are and you know what you care about, uh, and you should not care what people think. Yeah. Um, because as soon as you're trying to conform to everything else, then you're kind of you're putting like a lock and key to what you're yeah. allowed and not allowed to do, and it's like yeah, that's not fun. And I'm aware that it's yeah. a lot easier said than done, right? Oh yeah, it's, it sounds cool to say. No, look, I'm amazing. Yeah. We're both gods, right? And so uh, <laughs> perfect in every way. <laughs> we have a we have an audience member today. <laughs> but go ahead, yeah, make your yeah. point. I want to see where this is going. No, no, no that was it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gods. We're just gods. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know there was something really cool you wanted to talk about earlier. I did. I, discussing yeah. before the podcast started. Uh, hopefully, my sarcasm's coming off okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't I mean, actually think you, I'm a god. If they don't get it, um, yeah, then they can humor. turn it off. Um, yeah. So uh, attention as a commodity. So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, we've talked a lot about like, you know, social media technology and all that, but something that I read a while ago, I forgot where it was I read it, Um, but it's basically like attention is like our only commodity that we really care about. Because if you think about it when we were kids. And before you dive deep, do you mean this? in a modern sense or do you mean this just in a human being sense I, human being like consciously okay. i think that's our our only commodity that we really care about attention yeah i mean not the only one but maybe as i talk about it i'll come up with others but um because when you think about it when you're a, like a, a really young kid right 
how do you get reward for your actions? Your parents or the people around you give you accolades, right? They give you, they smile when you, you know, do something well, they frown when you do something bad, they disapprove, they approve. And so you're basically fighting for that attention, right? Yeah. So that's kind of ingrained in us as like the social mammals that we are right. to, and how we culturally develop is through approvals. Um, I think this, I might've read this in the four agreements actually, is the, is attention as a commodity, right? And so basically we're taught to mac, try to maximize the, our valuable attention from the, the people around us. And that gives us a reflection on how well we're doing in society. And that makes a lot of sense for like, how we would survive in the wild, like in hunters and gatherers. Like we would need to be able to have a foundation to base on our, our worth in the pack uh, and, and see how we would best survive based on the reactions of others. So attention is very, very important. Now that we're in such a globally connected world where we just receive so much attention uh, and so much variance in the kinds of attention that we, we receive, I think now we're almost having a backlash of our evolutionary trait. Like we, we don't really know what to do with the attention. And I think um, a lot of people are suffering from that. And I think that once we recognize the mechanism of what attention is to us, you know, how much it controls our life. Oh, and, you're, you're, you're good. Yeah, how much it controls our life. Um, then we start to be able to actually start uh, maybe thinking about ways that we can fix the problems individually. Like, you know, how, how is attention affecting myself? This is, this is what I have sure. done to try to help myself, like, you know, recognize methods of change to improve my life. So yeah. something I was thinking about, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. No, that's very, it's very interesting. Um, especially when you think about, you know, the journey of growing up as a kid to an adult and how we, Monetize not in a literal sense, mm. but we give so much value, right? Like you were saying, yeah, to that's attention. The, yeah, you know, especially when you're like in middle school. Like, I think it starts in kindergarten, right? As a yeah. kid, or actually starts younger than it that starts, from your parents yes. when you're literally a baby. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. You know, um, like so yeah, smile. that's very interesting. Yeah, smile or crying, right. crying, um, using crying as a form I mean, of attention. A great example of this is like if you have like younger siblings or have kids of your own, like. You'll know if a baby, if a kid falls down and they hurt themselves or they, and if you react, they look around, you they look around. Look and around. if you, if you, if you react like, oh, that was bad, then they start yeah. crying because that's their social cue. Oh, that's a bad thing that just happened. Yeah. Cue the negative emotion. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's very interesting because we do shape their world through yeah. our feedback, uh, for little kids. And that's true now. Right. Um, with like what we're consuming in terms of attention. And so attention as a commodity, like I remember Bo Burnham was on a TV show and he's, it's, it's like evident in his like special during COVID that he put out. But like, um, he, he talked about like, uh, I mean, a lot of people talk about the business, like how in, in these apps and these social media apps, like, um, that is literally the commodity, the financial commodity is our attention. Like they have, uh, forecasts, financial forecasts that, you know, determine their wealth for their company and how they're expanding and all and every budget and the and the payment is our attention, right? And so they're basically you know feeding off of our primordial primordial urge 
to mm-hmm. gain af- affection from other people right. through through attention. Um, but now we're like, and I was thinking about this because I, I don't watch as much Netflix as I used to or TV shows, and that's because I'm kind of maybe sometimes scrolling on Instagram, so that time is offset. Yeah. Right. So everyone has a fixed attention span, the fixed amount of time that they can dedicate towards their attention, right? That means that it's a scarce resource. It's actually not like infinite. I mean, sure, you have the population increase and you can expand to more areas of the world, but that that's a, probably a kind of a finite growth rate, right? And you have to have your models predict you know, for the companies of how they're gonna expand. But eventually, we're, we're, they're gonna start fighting over our attention, which they yeah. already are kind of doing. And, and then it's just interesting how that attention just also affects society. What we consume affects how we think and how the world is shaped. But now it's a, it's a competition between industries of how our attention is, what, what we're exposed to and, and what we're gonna learn from that. So it's like, what do we do with that? Yeah. It, it, basically, the things that we're exposed to is controlled. And like, and, and it's a constant competition. We don't really have as much freedom in what we're going to be exposed to anymore. Yeah. So for you, how do you delineate how to police the things in your life that need attention, whether it's things that you're giving attention to or things that need attention from you? So let's say if it's in a dating world or if it's in a relation, uh, not in a relationship, in a um in a work environment, right? Mm. Like, how do you measure how much attention you should be bringing to yourself versus how much attention you should not be bringing to yourself? Because it's not always the best thing in the, in the work environment when you draw too much attention. For for a lot of people, that just means more work. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's like, how do you like the reward for being a great worker in the workforce is more in more well, in a lot of cases yeah. more work, and that usually that more work doesn't usually come with a raise. So not in all cases. I'm just saying. Yeah, some, I mean, some cases. You, you know, the number one trait that leads you to be to, to grow in your career is, is uh, to be like your level of agreeableness. Right. So the less agreeable you are, the more likely you are to like right. get exactly. raises and rush. Exactly. And it's like less about how good <laughs> your job true. is. Because basically, you're saying you're. It's about deals, right? And you're saying, hey, I'm worth more. Uh, pay me more. But if you never even argue about it, then you just stay constant, right? Well, the, I think the the point you're making really ties into the human side of us that we get some form of boost from, which is I agree with you, right? So mm-hmm. when you say something, especially in a work environment, and somebody says, oh, good idea. That's all they say. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do what you said. Right. Like there's something in all of us that likes that. Yeah, that's You know, whether it's in a work environment, whether it's in just real life, whether no matter where you are, when you say something yeah. and somebody says, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with you. Yeah. Whether you notice it or not consciously, subconsciously, subconsciously there's something that happens inside us when, when... That's why I think positive reinforcement is so important in the workplace. I th- so positive and negative reinforcement are very powerful. Negative reinforcement, so I, th- I think of like negative reinforcement as kind of like a, a very, like an impulse, like a push, like a very momentary strong push forward. 
And I think of positive reinforcement as a sustainable, continual pushes. Mm. So if you're trying to motivate someone, you you have you, you can do positive reinforcement, but it's probably not as like it's not going to push them as far as quickly. But you can kind of keep doing it, and they won't really care or notice. You're saying positive would not will not push them as far as quickly, or negative would not. Positive would not. Interesting. That's that's because I think negative. I think we're we're more reactionary to negative feedback. I thought I could have sworn I saw a study that said this over longer opinion. periods of time, yeah. positive reinforcement. Yes, that's is, that's what is, I'm basically saying. Okay. And I didn't read any study. I'm just saying okay. my opinion is that. Oh, this is your opinion. Yeah, my opinion okay. is that you can keep. Like it's imagine you have imagine you're it's a person right and you're pushing their back negative reinforcement is like you're literally just putting all your effort you're chucking them right and they're kind of flying like ten feet right then positive reinforcement's like a few inches just a little tap a little tap a little tap but you can do that for like a year negative reinforcement is you do it for two months and then they leave. Well, I was just going to say there's right. a point with the negative where it's yeah. like you're like, okay, I'm done. I don't care if I die at this point. I'm not doing this anymore. Exactly. You know, that type of thing. And I think you can't just do positive reinforcement because like I think what will also happen is if you just keep doing positive reinforcement, eventually that person just like, you know, gets some some more back muscles and then they just kind of push back on you. Right. And basically that's like people get to... Uh, content with their situation they're like i'm doing so well i don't need to do much more and then they look for fulfillment in other areas but you kind of need to give them a little bit of a void to try to fill right so that's where the negative reinforcement comes in it's like hey you did really well but you're lacking this right then it gives them a goal to to seek out oh i want to fill that you know that thing but if you don't give them anything if you just kind of say hey there's you did great not much else to do you're just so great you know yeah. then what the, the hell do they have to do then they're going to be like i want other ways to fulfill myself and then they'll you know be really good at tennis or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense yeah that makes sense i also wanted to talk about something that we kind of brief, briefly touched on earlier yeah. which is you said you were watching a fight the ufc fight oh yeah was, and trump was there talking about that and uh yeah um and something interesting happened i wanted to talk to you about which is perseverance so a lot of people don't know the full story of what happened, but in essence, for everyone listening, we're, there was a fight. Um, one of the, one of the fighters um, in the event had lost to his opponent three times in a row. He had never beat him before. Israel, you talking about? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they fought across two different sports. Yeah. So in the first sport that they first met, this was years ago. I thought he won one. He'd never won. Oh, I didn't. Um, they used to fight in kickboxing. Yeah. Um, well, people say he won, but on paper he he didn't win. The judges oh, gave it to the other guy. Got yeah. it. So the first fight um, that was the one that he supposedly won. It was a really close fight. Mm. Fight. The judges gave it to his opponent. So it was zero and one, right? Mm. Because of that, because it was a really close fight, they had a rematch. Mm. They fought in a rematch. Israel. Who lost the first fight was winning the entire fight mm. but his opponent just came back hit him with a really nice shot and knocked him down or knocked him was out this, in MMA at this, this was in kickboxing okay kickbox, still in kickboxing so he lost again right so the first one he should have clearly won he lost right the second one he was winning the entire fight he got hit with a shot lost so mm-hmm. now he's 0-2 he leaves the sport of kickboxing goes into MMA right Becomes one of the best fighters of all time. Yeah. In MMA, he's never lost. Maybe he had like one loss, but 
he's pretty much undefeated in the new sport he's in. The guy he lost to yeah. <laughs> years earlier, twice, comes to the new sport and fights him while he's champion in the new sport. Again, he's pretty much never lost in the new sport. Mm. He beats him. The guy that he lost to comes right. to the new sport yeah. and beats him again in the new sport. So Wrong. now he's down yeah. 3-0 yeah. to this guy. I'm sure at this point he like hates him. He's like yeah. following him in different sports and he just cannot beat this guy. Yeah. So they have a fourth, a fourth fight, which was the this one, that one yeah. last night. And he finally gets it done. And it was really interesting because that moment just really showed a lot about perseverance like something that we can all relate to like in life where it's like we're just tasting this one thing it could be our dream if you're an artist it could be like making it as an artist if you are an actor or an actress it could be that mm. if you're just working on a five job it could be like trying to get that promotion you just keep trying and trying and trying again but i think we can all relate to it even if you're in sports right yeah and it really just showed the importance of just as cheesy as it sounds, we, uh, we've all heard this quote a thousand times, but like when you get knocked down, you get back up. Yeah. And it was just a really brilliant moment to see that happen like in real life because we hear this yeah. all the time. We see it in movies or shows. It sounds cool when, you, when we hear it in quotes. Yeah. But to actually see like the living embodiment, embodiment of perseverance was really cool. So I was going to ask you just now you have the big, the yeah, big picture. Yeah. Um, what example can you think of in your life where you've faced something similar <laughs> when it comes to and you just persevered through it oh, and man. you finally got what you wanted or needed and then what advice would you give to a lot of people a lot of us are in situations right now where we're having a hard time making either an important decision or we feel like we're stuck in a place where we don't want to be and like no matter how hard we try we just can't get out of it. it could be a relationship it could be like i said work it could be whatever it could be a business so for you um i'm curious to hear so uh my life has been a constant perseverance um and i want to say certain things that have happened in my life but I also don't want to overshare and, and kind of violate my own privacy. But I could talk about certain ones because they, they're they're kind of a, a nice little story bow. Um, they don't give like they're not too um, revealing about you know what what I came from and the hardship I came from. One is that I was in special ed when I was a kid, um, so it's mild uh, behavioral issues. But it's younger because I had a rough home life, um, and so I, I basically missed out on all middle school. Right, and now you know you refer to me as as doctor. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and so uh, I kind of went through life at young at a young age, kind of just being like, okay, you know, people call me stupid. They call me, you know, I'm I'm set back. I'm not the the normal kids are in the normal classes. I'm not in the normal classes. I'm not normal, you know, and I I I was brilliant in math as a kid, but I relearned multiplication many many times because I transferred so many schools mm -hmm. and every single time because I had an IEP at the time I would go right into the, the special ed classes and they just go over the regular stuff and so they go what's six times five and I'd be like I, I, I'm in you know sixth grade like what the why are we going over yeah. this like get to the algebra like I want to I want to learn um, and uh, so it was that was very hard uh, and I think what I did, 
And what I continue to do is just, I, I just reflect on myself constantly. And I, I always had this in me, is like, and I, I call it an anger. Um, it's, I just have this, this, this strong desire to keep things fair and just. That's where a lot of my, my anger comes from. And I have that for myself. So when I was going through a lot of this stuff, I felt this, this no, this isn't right. Like, I know what these people are saying about me, but this, this, this doesn't feel right. And I, I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast, but, you know, you, you have, like, every time you hit a wall, you have a certain set of options. You can either go through it, go around it, or go start a new path entirely, right? And so... Um, in this case, like for example, like my academic success, I could accept what people are saying about me and say, hey, and that's basically me saying, you know, I'm gonna do a new path. I'm not gonna try to go, you know, go through this wall, right? Um, going around the wall would be like, well, maybe I'm smart in a different area, mm-hmm. right? But no, I was like, no, I know I'm smart in these subjects, but I'm being taught to, to be, you know, and that, that I'm different in this, in this way. I need to stay true to who I am. So the, the question is, how do you stay true to who you are when you hit that wall and figure out like which one, which path to take? And I, I knew because I reflected constantly on, and I, I just, I recognized my own talent because I reflected enough to, to see it. And then once I did, I was like, I have, to, I have to push through it. And it was that anger that really motivated that, that, that feeling of needing things to be fair and just. Um, so that's, that's what's gotten me through adversity for the most part for all of it. Um, even like, you know, my previous, the previous work experiences I've yeah. had, like the, the, some of the social issues that I've had, like friends and stuff and falling outs and, uh, family problems that I've had growing up. Um, each time it was just really paying attention and really kind of trusting myself and what I observe. And having this kind of like, no, this is what I see, and this is this makes sense to me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand by it, you know. Mm. Um, are we still recording? We should just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. That's. And my question to you is, so when you were persevering through these things, have you always felt like you? had to support yourself through it and push yourself through it or did you feel like looking back did you have a support system with you i grew, i started growing I, I grew up pretty much alone um i, I at the age of 11 um i went to boarding school uh, in between summers i go to uh sleepaway summer camp um winters i would usually just lock myself in my room hmm. uh, i you know the chaos of my family growing up I mean I have a my own relationship with eating like I would I would come up in the middle of the night I wouldn't I wouldn't like really eat normally I'd come up in the middle of the night and there would be like microwave chicken nuggets and that would be my food wow you know just random shit that I could find in the fridge and like that was and then of course I had real meals when I went to boarding school or the summer camps or whatever um, and so, so I basically had to be my own parent at a lot of times and it's caused, so that, at that state of my life was a really good coping mechanism. Basically I didn't have guidance. I became my own guidance. 
What, what was the coping mechanism? To become my own guidance, I become see. my own parent. And to be able, because the, the, also, also I'm a kid, so how do I, how do you really have the experience to be your own parent? And so what I, I think I started doing is I'd look at the, these people around me who I'd kind of, because I was traveling from spot to spot, I'd look at the, the adults and the people who seemed to have experience and I'd selectively take little bits from each and say, okay, this, is, this person is really knowledgeable in this and I agree with this. I'm going to digest that and reinforce it to myself later. So that's going to be the nagging parent to me later. You know, when, when Mr. Freeman, my English teacher said, and I still remember this, like your, your physical body can endure more than your mind thinks it can. So whenever I'm working out, I, I remember Mr. Freeman saying that during one of our hikes. Well, I'm going to remember that. And whenever I'm struggling to finish a workout, Mr. Freeman's voice comes in, you know, or, or you know, all the other people in my life who've given me wisdom like that. So it was me basically, you know, <laughs> crowdsourcing. Hmm. parental guidance and uh, but that worked when I was a kid later and as an adult I'm realizing that that causes issues like anxiety because I'm my own parent I'm very hard on myself now um, because while other people had maybe parents or people to kind of say hey that's wrong that's right I had my own voice and so now when I feel like I'm not doing something I should be doing it's a very harsh criticism um, that comes into my own head. So it, things that work, coping mechanisms that work in the past don't necessarily continue sure. on. But I do think, at least from my experience, I think it's a good thing to have that inner parent, that inner version of you kind of correcting yourself. I just think that in order to avoid anxiety or depression, you need to be able to monitor how strong that voice is with self-love and self-compassion. So that's the thing that I've realized in the last few years is that I need to regulate that by, by really realizing that voice is only there to help me and it's out of love. And I have to be compassionate to my attempt to overcome things. So a, a lot of times people, when it comes to reinforcing, uh, re reinforcing a work ethic to, to overcome an obstacle, people think, well, you can't give yourself slack because then you'll, you'll, uh, you won't you won't push as hard, right? I think that's a that's wrong. I think you have to adjust what what you mean by slack, right? Because I think you can. I think it's our. I think the goal is to be able to provide reinforcement that is not heavy, and that doesn't break you down, right? That 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 pushes you upwards, but still reinforcing. Yeah. You know, and I think that. It's very difficult to do, but the one of the ways that I've found I believe works is if you realize that it's from self-love and self-compassion, that reinforcing argument, right? But then still have the severity to recognize the advice as absolutely needed, then you will follow it without the negative weight of not of feeling you're not enough. Because that's the problem, is when you say, oh, I need to do this, and if I don't, I'm not enough, mm -hmm. right? But if you, if you recognize that I'm always enough, this voice is only there to push me higher, but I want it. The desire is what's compelling me. I want it so bad. That's pushing me. And not, not the identity tied into it. That's taken care of with the self-love, but it's the push to, to the desire to, to go to higher heights. When you have that, you can accomplish a lot. 
So how do you help someone understand the idea of self-love that's never felt love from anybody else? Because um, you were saying earlier that you pretty much feel yeah. like you raised yourself in, in many different ways. So for a lot of people who might be in that position, you know. Edgar totally talks about this in The Power of Now. Um, and it's something that I recognize too. Once you beat yourself up enough, you eventually get to a point, and I hope that people don't have to get to this point, but you eventually get to the point where you're like, I'm inflicting this pain. Like, you recognize that you're the one holding the sword to your own self, and that you're, you're in the room with yourself at all points in time. You're never alone. Like, there's another version of you there, and you, you're, you're basically stabbing yourself. So you, you have to, at some point, when you, you feel the pain enough, be able to recognize that that person's that version of you is, is the one enforcing that pain. So then, we the the reaction is to to eventually go that enough's enough, no more, no more pain, no more, you know, self infliction. Like, I'm doing this, I can stop. It's 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 a like it's a release of it. Um, that's when the love I think can enter because. When you realize that you don't have to give yourself the pain, when you when you're kind of pushed to that breaking point, and then love is the only thing there because you're just basically like, I don't want to do this to myself anymore. I I I, I love myself. You know that's where that's. I don't think love is something that you need to do. I think it's there underneath, if that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. I just yeah. When it's a. Um have you speak from your from your standpoint um since you've been in some situations like that before where you have to kind of carry yourself through it yeah i wanted you to kind of speak to that um from your perspective so other people listening that either have been in your position or in, are in your position and trying to get to where you already it's are a cycle, right? yeah. you know samsara right like we're always going to be challenged in that way um until i think we achieve enlightenment right yeah so you're always in the in some state of suffering and trying to understand why and trying to balance all these different things the level of self-love the level of perseverance the, and you and I, I think you know if get spiritual about it but like I think God does give you creative obstacles to keep testing your ability yeah. to, to react um, but uh, right now the way that I'm dealing with a lot of things is going back to my belief in God and uh, I hope that listeners don't take that in a negative because God now has such a. I, I don't think. Yeah. Don't, yeah. It doesn't matter. Don't, don't, don't get self conscious about that. Just, yeah. Guys, whoever's listening, I do not give a fuck <laughs> what you think That's like, great. about. Way to get more listeners. You know, these opinions. It's just. And I, yeah, I, I, no, mean I, that, I mean that respectfully. Yeah. You know? All I'm saying is don't put so much stock in what other people are thinking or saying. It doesn't matter. It's your, it's your belief. It's your life. It's your reality. You know, that's all that matters. I, I think the reason is because I think that a lot of people coming from, you know, strong, let's say, Catholic backgrounds. It's okay. Like, it doesn't yeah, matter. But, but to appeal to them, I'll say, like, my version of God is, it's a very personal version of God um, that may not be associated with, you know, other sure. people. But... What I was going to say about God and, and what I'm doing now is really trying to balance what's in my control and what's out of my control and my reactions to what is out of my control. So, it, like, say the dating thing, right? Or the job thing that I just went through, like switching jobs. And 
um, that was a great example of me just going like, okay, what can I do right now to better my work situation, right? And I did those things. Then I have to think, okay, what, you know, do I obsess over it? Do I keep telling myself, oh, I should do every little thing? And like, no, because that's, that's only going to make things worse. So it's all about maximizing the productivity to get to where I want to be. But then the other part is letting go. The other part is giving yourself the slack of I can't control everything. And that for me is relenting to God, is saying, hey, God's the one. You know, I've done my share. I can't put the burden all on me. Now it's time to say, hey, God, what's next? Ask God. That's the only thing. We I can love do. that. Um, so that's where I'm at now. So with the dating thing, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, I can be on the apps, but they have their own algorithms, their own things. Um, and even, you know, everything's left to serendipity. Everything's left to chance. The, the fact that I meet the right, smart person who I'm attracted to, that we have the same grounding personality in, in depth that we can really develop something. Like, that's hard to find. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that I can't control. So I have to say, hey, okay, what can I focus on now if I'm not being granted to that? And I've talked about maybe possibly moving one day, like the statistics of, you know, what people based on culture, the culture of regions and all that stuff. Like there's, there's ways that I could try to input control to, and you know, to this system that's chaotic. But at some point you have to balance that out with, but there's too much chaos. I'm not going to put that weight of controlling all that chaos onto me. Some of it I'll let out to the world and to God. Yeah. No, that makes a lot. Of, I love that, and I actually want to spend up um, maybe. The oh next fuck, we gotta go. Maybe the next podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we want to spend the next podcast diving deeper into that because I think it's a really great topic, <laughs> and a lot of people have this idea. A lot of people see God through religion, yeah, which is, in my opinion, one of the. I don't want to say worst ways because I don't want to make people feel like religion is not the way, but. God can be experienced outside of religion. And I think that when you experience God outside of religion, it gives you a clearer idea. Yeah. Not only that, it helps you form your own mm. relationship and also helps you better understand the true meaning of God and not look at it through like religion, whether it's Christianity or, you know, if you're Catholic or if you're Muslim, like no matter what religion you are. Yeah. Right? I grew up Christian. But I don't see God necessarily through like a Christian purview. Mm. Like I have my own ideology and my own relationship and my own experiences that have created my vision of like what God is, not necessarily through religion, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think, and I think we're all kind of a lot of people are heading that way nowadays. Yeah. So I think it's important we have these conversations. Yeah, for sure. Especially with people our age, our generation. But I'll love to have that conversation on the next podcast. Yes, I think that would be great. We do have to go. We have a fun um, like event we have to yeah, go to. We're but anyway, event. Um, until next time. Yeah. Um, I'm Jonathan. You're not Jonathan, you're a doctor. I'm Jonathan. Dr. <laughs> you corrected me. I, no, I'll be personable with the audience. I'm Jonathan Present. Um, Michael Present. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time. Peace.